All right, well, I guess we'll start, guys. Welcome to the Church Mag Podcast. On this episode, we talk about church tech stewardship versus ownership, five questions with Church Mag author Mark Robertson, and more. As usual, we have Jeremy Smith and Phil Schneider, along with myself, Eric Dye. And today we're going to take a closer look at what is the difference between church tech stewardship and ownership. Stewardship, ownership, it seems like very similar things. Phil, how would you differentiate between these two terms? Uh, stewardship, I think, is where you are you are a manager for someone. So, for example, to be a good steward of your tithe, you manage the finances God gives you responsibly. You give your tithe. Uh, you take care of your bills. You, you use money wisely. Ownership is where you do what you want because... It belongs to you. I, as a Christian, I don't think anything belongs to me. It all belongs to God in some aspects. So in church tech, stewardship, I, I manage it. I care for it on behalf of the church for the kingdom of God. Ownership, it's mine and you can't touch it. I see. So, because, I mean, some people would hear that and say, oh, well, you you want to have kind of an ownership mindset. You want to own the problem. You want to own the responsibility. You kind of like you own a house or you own a car. What do you think, Jeremy? I think it kind of is a tricky situation because in some churches I've been in, the leadership of the church tech portion of the church have been tasked to own the ministry. So, you have a little bit of a conundrum here where you are putting together your own budget, you are putting together your own team. And so whenever other people are coming around, messing with the amplifiers, messing with the soundboard, uh, it gets a little tricky in the sense that it's making your ministry a bit harder or it's ruining stuff that you can't pay for to replace. So I think that the ownership and the stewardship um, becomes a very fine line. And so stewardship in the sense that you are owning and protecting and using wisely what you have is a great thing. And then the ownership portion of it, if we're going to give it a negative connotation, um, tends to be just that extra step of, well, it's mine. You can't have it. It's mine. And so I think that there's a tough piece in all of this. And, and part of it is the tech team and part of it is the church culture that brings you into something like that. I've seen tech rooms, you know, like the sound booth up at church where they have the video and that sort of thing going on, where there's this feeling of, you know, you are you don't belong here, we have a certain way we do things, only we know how to operate it, and that is not a healthy place for an AV team to be at at all. Right. I um, And I think the reason I bring this up is the, the idea of owning something, you know, give the, the, the team or the team leader a sense of ownership that will empower them. I think it's, 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 a, it's kind of a semantics issue. Um, in a sense, but I think the difference is um, is when you're when you own it in such a way that other ministries can't use it. That's when you're being selfish for Jesus, and He's never called anyone to be selfish for His causes. Um, when I was probably in early college, we um, we had a youth band that was pretty good, and one of our, our youth pastors uh, booked um, I guess a youth rally, or basically offered to do a youth rally at a church that had no youth pastor. So we traveled to this church, all of our sound stuff, to uh, to do like put on a little I guess a, uh, it's a service and a, and a worship set, and so I was going to run the sound. So I, I was told go in the sound booth, get it all set up, make it work. What I didn't know was the the church treasurer, the church one, one of the one of the deaconesses 
ran the sound and she was rabid about her sound booth. And I understand being protective because you don't want someone to, someone to mess it up. Rabid about her sound booth? <laughs> well, because she walked in, saw me, you know, 19-year-old kid with, you know, punk rock haircut and baggy jeans in the, in the sound booth. And she came in, glared at me for a while, went back to the office. I essentially, I think, gave the pastor a piece of her mind and then left. Because I was in the sound booth. Do you think it would have been different hadn't you been wearing the baggy pants and had the punk hair you? Well, if I, was my, if I was in my shorts, I don't think that she would have approved of that either. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, I think the problem here was that, well, it's two things. One, no one told me they had a sound person who was that protective because I would have approached that person directly and had a better attitude about it. I think that if you know someone struggles with that issue, you way you approach them can really diffuse stuff. But then two, all she had to do was talk to come talk to me and say, Hey, here are the settings here. Please like mark them down or take a picture of them so you can put them back the way they were. It's, it's just, it's simple. I think that I know that myself when I've done sound for, for too long in in a ministry, um, I had that tendency myself to say, I've set this up. It's perfect. Nobody else touch it or I'll have to kill you. And that's just an unhealthy attitude. Well, my push, my pushback for that is that we've all been in technology and we've all seen it fail. And so we know what happens when a can of Coke is too close to a keyboard, when a child gets close to a soundboard, when, um, I mean, we have the Tech Wreck Tuesday going on where we ourselves have messed up technology in a variety of ways, intentionally and not. And so I think that that whole guarding and to be able to understand the cost of this technology gives some validity to why we are so hypersensitive about this technology and just understanding that it took a lot of time to be able to set it up, to be able to get it the way we want to have the mm-hmm. presets, everything, all how it should be, and to have to take that time again to be able to go into it in some ways justifies what we're saying. So maybe that's the pushback in all of this is not having to do all that work, not having to replace it, having to protect what we do is a valid reason to have those thoughts. I, I think this is always a valid reason for everything. Uh, I think that it's when we move past the valid reason that we have the problems. And I think that any, what you're talking about is having standards in your tech ministry, which you definitely should. There has to be some sort of standard uh, standard of knowledge. You have to know how to use it. Standard of behavior. Don't have don't have soda near the, mach- you know, the machines. But I think that those standards have to be set up in a way that they that they they give life. They bring people into the ministry. They show them how to use it properly. It, it's if if some if some random person in congregation came to our our church tech team now and said, "Hey, um, I want to do an event in the sanctuary. I want to use this, all the sound system. I want to use uh, the computer back here. I need to I need to use the entire stage. I'm doing this." We would say. Okay, well, we'll have one of our sound guys there to help you and to and to do all this stuff for you. Um, you can have your event, but we'll have one of our guys there to do it. If somebody wants to join the church tech team, then we show them how it all works. Whereas I've seen it numerous times, the church tech team is like a is like a very locked in group that no one can get into, no one can break through because uh, those three guys made it work, and those are the only three guys who can make it work. And there's a lot of problem with that. And I think things like discipleship and having that kind of an attitude can be really, really healthy where you're you're willing to teach other people. You know, you do have those standards that Jeremy's talking about, you know, no no beverages in you know near the soundboard and this is how 
we do the slideshow, and this is how we take care of our equipment. Those are all really good things, and if they're done in a teachable, loving manner, and there's this kind of open attitude, I think that's really that's the core issue that we're looking at here as we kind of, like you said before, Phil, talking about semantics between stewardship and ownership. Really what this is about is having a good attitude, being willing to teach others, and let uh, church tech be what it should be, and that is... A lot of fun. I think that some of the best parts about all of this as far as stewardship and ownership doesn't even necessarily come out of how you interact with each other because I think that that's just civility. But the idea that if you allow someone to have ownership of the stewardship and simply run with it, I think that that's the greatest thing. And so I personally have that story of a youth director saying, you know what? You take over control of all the tech stuff for the youth group. I've never done leadership, and yet he's sitting here saying, why don't you just own everything? And so as we're going along, I'm coming up with these random ideas, as Eric, you know I do. And I think that the best part about all of it is just the fact that he gave me the permission to do whatever I want to do instead of holding it tightly and not necessarily giving me the permission to do whatever I want, that he gave me the creative freedom to say, okay, you do the videos, okay, you do the website, okay, you do the PowerPoint, you set everything up, that it was able to empower me as well. So I think that the best part about all this was really cool that they can encourage you, you can actually be Jesus with technology and to encourage someone. Mm -hmm. and, And when the failures happen, it's all right. And whenever you succeed, that you can celebrate. It's awesome. That church that we went to, the reason we went there is they had no younger people because the older people had held on to everything so long that no one was being drawn into it. And that lady who ran the sound was probably 70 then. I'm sure she's gone now. And I don't think she probably ever trained anybody else to do that job. Mark Robertson is an Irishman from London. He is passionate about poverty and justice while using his expertise in film and video production and WordPress and web development to change the world and make a living. He is a keen communicator, has a great sense of humor, and we love having Mark as a part of the Church Mag Authors Network. First question. What did you want to grow up and be when you were seven years old? That's right, Mark. We started with the heavy question right out of the gate. (laughs) Oh, the tough one. Ah. See, I was was thinking about this, um, I think, a couple of weeks ago. I think you asked someone else on the podcast. Yes. Yes. There's uh, a pattern. There's a pattern (laughs) with these five questions. (laughs) It made, made me think. And... I'm really quite worried about this answer because it just makes me sound so dull. But at seven years old, um, I think I wanted to be an architect. How, how is that dull, Mark? Well, you know, most kids want to be a spaceman or a fireman or a policeman or in the army or something. Yeah. No, I think I think most adults think that children at that age want to do that. I think children at that age think, think much differently. I don't know. That's just my opinion. And so you wanted to be an architect, and now, you, now you're doing all this create. You're still doing creative things, and you're still building. You're building websites and you're building awesome video reels and whatnot. Yeah, I guess the, the, the creative streak was well and, uh, well and truly uh, obviously there at that age, but um, it kind of uh, ended up being something very different, but something that's a lot more agile, I guess, because um, architecture can be quite long projects that take months and months, whereas sometimes with this stuff you get to create and do something in an hour, and it's there, and it's cool, and it's awesome. Right, right, exactly. All right, Mark, 
Next question here, again, a little on the personal side. This one's actually probably, could be arguably the most personal question to ask, and that is, where do you keep your mobile phone at night? Or in the case, as I asked James Cooper, where do you keep your mobile phone at night? My, my mobile um, is indeed kept by my bedside because it acts as my alarm clock. Ah, I see. Yeah, so I, I, and I have about 15 different alarm clocks that go off because we tend to sleep straight through them. And my wife has her mobile on her side of the bed and you just get this plethora of <laughs> mobile phone alarms going off and it's all a bit yeah disjointed. We did try leaving it on the side, um, like across the room, so we'd have to get up and get out of bed and turn it off, but laziness won. That's awesome. So you have like this symphony going off, so the neighbors are like, ah, oh, time for the Robinsons to get up. Yeah, pretty much. We must annoy the out of them. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, Mark, Final Cut or Adobe Premiere? Oh, tough question. Um... I guess uh, that's that's a really tricky thing. Um, ultimately, I have to say whatever works for you. And I'm not saying that to try and wangle my way out of, a, of giving a definitive answer. Um, I say it because for years and years and years, I worked with uh, Final Cut. Um, in the um, When I worked for production companies, I worked in Final Cut. But now as a freelancer and with the dawn of Final Cut changing from uh, sort of Final Cut 7 to Final Cut 10 and the new interface um, and how it didn't really quite cut it for a certain level of editing, um, I started using Premiere and when I went freelance I started using Creative Cloud and all that kind of stuff and it just beca- it was affordable right. and ultimately so now I'm using Premiere. Um, I have an older version of Final Cut installed on my machine if I need it but most day-to-day use is Premiere. So you haven't really seen one really that much hands above the other, per se? Day-to-day use, I'd actually have to say Premiere is easier to use um, because you can stick anything on the timeline and it won't crash. Wow, that pretty much sums it up right there. You can put just about anything on the timeline and it won't crash. That is music to my ears, Mark. <laughs> Name your three most favorite blogs. And you can't say Church Mag. Oh. I know that's very assumptuous of me to think that that's one of your three most favorite <laughs> blogs, but uh, we can't allow any any kind of wriggle room here. Okay. Okay, look. Um, I would. Um, Nothing but hard hitting questions. Hard hitting. You're just you're not making it easy for me, really. No, no, you no, no. You could have prepped me for this or something. I'm no. sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I'm going to say number one is probably Mashable, um, and specifically Mashable Tech. Um, just because there's so much, there's so much random creative technology that comes through um, the Mashable blog, from you know awesome you know LEDs for bicycle wheels to different hacks for Android to I don't know uh, tips on stuff that Google are doing that haven't been released. They always seem to be on the button. Next, I would say would be Temp Blogger. Yeah, that guy John Saddington that I believe some of us know. Hmm. have to check that out, I guess. Do a little Google search. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, something like that. And the other one would probably be Web Design Depot, webdesignerdepot.com. Uh, just because I do a lot of web stuff and a lot of uh, creative digital stuff, it's, uh, there's so much inspiration and uh, nice tutorials. And yeah. cool tools. I, I like the cool tools that pop up there. Exactly. And the free fonts um, are endlessly awesome. Endlessly awesome. Right here, Mark Robinson said it. 
Endlessly awesome. Speaking of phrases, the final question. Sure. Probably the scariest question of them all. Not the hardest, but the scariest. Okay, okay. You have to be completely honest here. <laughs> okay. In your humble opinion, mm-hmm. does the phrase cool beans have a chance of returning to the glory days of everyday vocabulary? Well, bearing in mind it's um, frequently used in my close circle of friends, and even to a degree with my, some of my circle of professional friends, I think it's inevitable that those who use cool beans will are destined to take over the world. Cool beans. <laughs> cool beans indeed. Time for the top posts from around the web. Who's going to start? Phil, Jeremy, go for it. Well, like I was saying earlier, um, off camera or off mic. Um, off camera? Uh, Phil, this, this this is a podcast. I'm not filming this? Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, since Google Reader imploded this past week, uh, I've my workflow is all off, so I'm not, I haven't been reading as much. I need to get back. I need to figure out and read my workflow. But uh, I want to know what service Google's going to kill off next. Um, FeedBurner's going down. I'm, I'm terrified. I'm afraid it's going to go down in flames. Oh, that's going to be a Well, we can day. talk about that later on in another segment if you want to. But when they killed off the in-feed ads, I knew that the writing was on the wall. Um, anyway, Eric, your post on Church Mag about uh, can someone who's colorblind see your website? I had never thought of that before. And I actually, I actually am colorblind. I've known that for several years. Uh, I never considered how that might affect the design of a person's website. And that's a very unique way of looking at it. When did you find out that you were colorblind? Uh, it, it, okay, I want to overly dramatize this, but uh, I was in, uh, I think it was in fourth grade, and we're in class, and we're looking through like some world book of knowledge. There's like, you know, those 26 sets, one set, one book for each letter of the, uh, the alphabet. And someone was looking through this um, section on colorblindness, and they had those, you know, prototypical little circle tests. It's a circle. If you see this number, you're good. If you see this number, you're you're bad. And I'm like, oh, it's totally a three or two, whatever it was. And everyone's like, no, dude, it, it's a nine. And I'm like, what? And I read the caption and I'm like, I'm colorblind? Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So can you only see two fingers right now? <laughs> it, it's well, I like the post because you emphasize this clear, clear mind people can still see color, they don't see as much of it or with great, as great a clarity. Yeah, Jeremy, may, maybe you should take your insensitivity and go read <laughs> <Yeah>. the post. <laughs> okay, I mean, uh, Phil found out he was colorblind in fourth grade, and he just found out today that this podcast is not filmed. Right, <laughs> I am hurting all over was it, here. Was it too soon? I apologize. I apologize. Can you see, can you see two fingers? Of course you can't see two fingers. It's not being recorded. Um, like, well, and this is it's a colorblindness is one of those weird things where it's it's hard for somebody else to believe you have. My um I've got uh, numerous brothers, but uh, my brother Andy is also colorblind. And my brother Jared, this is like probably three or four years ago when he was in college. One night we're joking about it. He's like, "You're not colorblind." I'm like, "Yeah, we are." And he pulled up a website with some tests on it. And I'm like, okay, it's a, it's a two. And Andy's like, yeah, totally a two. Jared's like, it's a seven. What are you guys talking about? I mean, he thought we were totally just you know, joking with him. What I really liked about some of the stuff I dug out were the apps that you could, you could set up so that you can see 
kind of get a better idea of what it's like to have colorblindness, and it really gives you a better perspective on that. You know, you do see colors. It's just, it's different. And then it was curious to see kind of how my son sees the world so differently uh, than we do. So it was certainly, dare I say, eye-opening. <laughs> okay, Jeremy, Ooh. top post. My post is obviously a great resource for videos with student ministry. As any student ministry person knows, whenever you're leaving ministry, like I just did, that's when you find all your great resources. So I have found a great resource for everybody else still in youth ministry as opposed to myself that's leaving. So videos with student ministry for student ministry is an awesome little resource that I wish I put together. And so that's why I'm promoting it. But it's it's a simple way to be able to find different resources, whether it's entertaining that you want to show before youth group goes you can have people engaging up front. That's a good transition into your sermon, your talk, your worship, whatever it is that people are looking up front or great illustration ideas. So it's one of those things that I wish I developed, but I encourage you guys to go and visit and kudos to the team that built that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It reminds me a little bit of, we have a few posts on Church Mag out of the box sermon illustrations, and it really reminded me of that, except that's, this is really focused on that, and it's video centric, and it really looks like a cool resource, and we're definitely going to have to spread the word about that on Church Mag. Very good looking resource. If only you could see all the colors. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, of all, unfortunately, all these videos look so pale and lifeless to me if I color blindness. But on, all right, you know, I wanted to share a post that wasn't on Church Mag, but I'm having a hard time this week. I wonder if there's a grand cabal going on out there that everyone's held back the great posts for the next week or so until everyone gets gets used to not using Google Reader. I don't, I, I don't like Feedly though. How come you don't like Feedly? I just. Like, I used to do Google Reader only on my laptop. I'm very old-fashioned. The multi, multi-touch multi gestures and stuff confuse me. I, I'm afflicted beyond colorblindness uh, and, and, dev- and devilish good looks. I am afflicted with what is technically called uh, sausage fingers, and it's difficult to do some of the gestures on the iPhone with Feedly, and it's just very frustrating. Sausage fingers is medically proven. Is it really? No. <laughs> um, it needs to be. I can't tell you how many times it, it, on the iPhone keyboard, the send button is right by the letter B. So every text message I send has a B at the end, like I'm cursing at people. Like, hey, I'm on my way, B. And it's just, I feel bad. And I did it to my boss one time, and she's a lady, and I had to clarify later on that I was not being gangster. I was just to have fat fingers. Did, were you texting that with your baggy shorts and your mohawk? <laughs> I actually, I never had a mohawk. I had, I had really, um, I didn't have the, the spikes, and I had perf- like really good hair gel for those little spikes. But uh, I still wear baggy jeans if my wife's not watching. So you're not only colorblind, Phil, and you're afflicted with sausage fingers. Yes, indeed. Oh, to be Phil. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, the thought of having sausage for fingers, I'd probably eat my own hands. I actually hate sausage. It's a very awkward condition to have. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the side effects of having sausage fingers is that you're no longer capable of enjoying sausage. Thank God for bacon. Oh, uh, yes. Truth. And with that, uh, I guess we'll do another podcast sometime. Uh, sometime. Okay. Are you part of the royal family? I, I am. Wow. When you watch Downton Abbey, you're like, wrong soup fork there, or whatever. <laughs> Did I just say soup fork? I'm sorry. That was stupid. Yeah. Yeah.
This is Oak Touch Mad Production.